following audio is from a sermon series entitled, A Church for the City. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 105, 1-6. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. This is the word of the Lord. We've been in a sermon series called A Church for the City. We've had a, some videos that have been going along with this over the last couple of weeks, talking about um, how people within our church are in our city, investing in our city, contributing to the welfare of our city. And, and what this whole sermon series has been doing is to help us that a great church is not only focused on establishing a great church, but a great church is focused on making a great city through a gospel movement that causes personal transformation creates meaningful community, pursues social justice and cultural renewal, specifically here in the Quad Cities. And each week that we've been going through this series, uh, each week sort of builds on the last week. And so let me just, if you're just joining us today, let me just catch you up real fast. Um, The first week we talked about God loves the city, and because God loves the city, Christians ought to love the city as well. Last week, we talked about, well, how do you do that? Well, Christians are called to seek the welfare of the city, that Christians are sent by God into the city to work for the betterment and the flourishing of the city. And last week, we really laid out a lot of really practical ways to go about doing that, and I hope that we've gotten to work uh, doing that as a church, that we've been thinking, how, how are some ways that I can step up into that? Or maybe to say, hey, these are ways that I'm already doing that, and I can do that with a little bit more intentionality. But the stuff that we do, well, not but, the, the stuff that we do as we make uh, our city a better place, as we seek the flourishing of our city, it demonstrates the outworking of the kingdom of God. It points to the forward day that's coming when Jesus will make all things new, that all things will be as they ought to be. And while we work for those things, the reality is that no one is going to come to know who God is because our grass is well kept or because we went and gave blood at a blood drive, right? That stuff is good stuff that we ought to do, but it isn't explicitly Christian. In fact, there are a lot of non-Christians who are seeking the welfare of our city, who are bettering our city in ways that, that actually puts some Christians to shame. The reality here is that even as hard as we try to keep our lawns nice, Uh, to keep our house looking good, to make our city a more welcoming and inviting place, those things are not going to cause personal transformation in themselves, right? Nobody's huddled up in in your neighbor's best maintained yard and having a revival there. That just doesn't happen. And while there are really practical, tangible things that we do, in our city to make it a better place and seek the city's welfare, there's a dimension of this work that is unique or I would even say exclusive to Christians. It's something that only Christians can do. 
because the true welfare of the city is found only when people are connected to God and in right relationship with God. Therefore, a church for the city not only does that really practical stuff to seek the welfare of the city, but a a church for the city is a church that is working to connect people to God. And there are two two, two primary ways the church does this through missional living and missional worship. Now, if you've been around Sacred City, you know that the word missional is more than just a buzzword, right? We don't just slap the word missional on something and say, hey, now now we're doing it. Missional points to our gospel identity as missionaries. We believe that God has sent Jesus Christ to earth as a missionary to connect sinners to God because sin had once separated us from God. And now as people who have been connected to God the Father, we as Christians are now sent to the city to people who are not yet connected to Jesus to help connect them, to bridge those gaps. In fact, John 20, 21, Jesus tells his followers, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. Now, Jesus isn't just sending the elite Christians, right? He, he's not just sending the Christians who got their lives together, who can do something in sort of a very uh, uh, upfront, visible sort of way. It's not just for the people who are in vocational ministry. Every Christian, this is, Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, Now, Spurgeon wasn't saying that every Christian is going to go overseas. Like, not every Christian is going to pack up and go to India or go to Africa to live on mission. What he's saying is that every Christian, every person who trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior is a missionary right where you are. Right where life happens, God has sent you there as a missionary. So where you go to work, to school, when you go to the gym, in your neighborhood, you are there with a mission to help people get connected to God. You're not, just, you're not just earning a paycheck. You're not just filling up space. You're not just going to get a degree. You are there with a bigger universal mission to help connect people to God. And we're going to talk more about how this looks like when we're living missionally in the coming weeks. But today's focus is really on the second piece of that, right? That, that's missional living. We're going to talk about missional worship today. That's the second main way we connect other people to God. If we are missionaries wherever we go throughout our week, that is especially true on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings, we are here to worship as missionaries. And as we dig into Psalm 105, it displays three paradoxical traits that makes our worship missional. And here they are. The first one is that missional worship is both exclusive and inclusive. The second way our worship is missional is that, that it is corporate and personal. And the third way we worship missionally is to seek what's already been found. So we're gonna dig into these three things here. So what does it mean that missional worship is both exclusive and inclusive? It seems to be, you know, paradoxical, right? Juxtaposed to one another. But if you look at Psalm 105, 
you see that worship has a singular, exclusive focus. Just, just glance at it with me here. He says, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. See, worship is not about you. It's, it's not about me. Right? We, we don't sit here on Sunday mornings and give ourselves pats on the back, right? propping each other up, giving each other kudos. You, you don't turn to your neighbor and say, man, you, you really impress me. We, we don't do that. Missional worship has an exclusive and singular focus on God and what he has done. It, it, it's a small view of ourselves and a big view of God. It's saying in, one, in Psalm 105 that we're, we're here to proclaim, to testify, to talk loudly about God, right? That, that, that there's this, a singular focus that we're looking up to God and what he's done. And that's why we sing the songs that we do, right? We're, we're very strategic in, in our song selection on Sunday where we're not singing about me and the way that I feel. We're singing about God, his glory, his goodness, his mercy. And the times that we do sing about me, right? We sing, I was an orphan lost at the fall. See, that's just setting the backdrop to point to what God has done for us, that he turned around and saved us. See, worship is exclusive and that our worship is only intended for God, right? Even another song, I'm trying to think of the lyrics, it's your breath in our lungs, so we'll, we, we pour back our praise to you only. And while our focus in worship is exclusively on God, it is inclusive of others. Now, this doesn't mean that we compromise our Godward focus. No, our, our gaze is always set on him. But we worship in a way. We sing praises to God in a way. We speak of God in a way that helps not yet believers make sense of what we've experienced and what we're talking about. This might be a new idea for some of us. I, I think a, a lot of us have grown up in the church where, where we think that, that Sunday mornings are for Christians. Right? It's, it's a safe place where Christians come together and we instruct, right? There's instruction. We, we practice covenant renewal, confessing our sins, receiving the absolution, professing our faith, right? It, it's just a place where believers come to gather. And yes, that stuff is going on. But Sunday and our Sunday gatherings are meant to be way more than that. Sunday mornings are not only for the instruction and the edification of the believers, but it's for, the, for evangelism and, work and mission toward not yet believers. Sunday morning is a way to engage with skeptics and the seekers that are in our city. And in fact, you look at verse 1 of Psalm 105, this implies that worship, Sunday gathering, when we gather as God's people, it's meant to happen within mixed company. It says, make known his deeds among the peoples. If you look at an NIV translation or other translation, it'll say, make known his deeds among the nations. It's pointing to the fact that Christians and not yet believers should be in the same room. 
Now, there's a huge implication for us in this, that if this is true, that worship is meant to be in mixed company, it means that Christians need to be relentlessly inviting the people we are on mission to to join us here as we worship or in any place where Christians gather together. Right? How can, how can we make known God's deeds among the peoples, among people who are not yet believers if they aren't in earshot of us? The longer you've been a Christian, I think, at least this is my experience, but the longer you've been a Christian, the harder it is for you to invite other people into this. I don't know why it is. But, but I've got an idea. Because the longer we're a Christian, the longer we start to kind of get quarantined in our own little world, right? Everybody else, all of our friends are Christians. We all see the world in somewhat the same way. And there's this tendency where Christians start to get weird, right? You know what I'm talking about? And part of our weirdness is that we start to overcomplicate things, and listen, I'm guilty of this. I'm preaching to the choir here, right? And here's what I mean, that, that we have this mentality that I have to, before I invite somebody into church to come to worship with me, to come to missional community with me, that I have to have this, hit this relational milestone before I even let that person know that I'm a follower of Jesus, right? I, we've got to have some sort of rapport before I let it out. It's like a dark, dirty secret sometimes, Right? It shouldn't be that way, but for some reason it is. And then on top of that, we start to think, well, I should have this many sort of interactions or this many conversations with this person before I invite them to church. And before you know it, you've been friends with somebody for three years. They don't even know you're a follower of Jesus. You've never invited them in community to experience what missional community life is like. You've never invited them to cross the threshold of a church door to hear of God's goodness. And I don't know what that is. I don't know why it is that way. But here's what I do know. By not inviting people, by not extending an invitation, we are always answering no for that person. And listen, brothers and sisters, we need to start letting people say no for themselves. Right? We need to provide the opportunity for them and say, hey, we would really love for you to be here, but it's on their end. If they, don't, if they want to decline, that's fine. But we should not be answering no for them. You know what? And then when they do say no, because you can expect it. Like, you can expect that it's going to take you three, four, five dozen invitations before somebody actually takes you up on it. And when they do say no, we don't give up, right? The first time, second time, third time, we don't give up. We don't say, ah, oh, they, you know, I'm... They're not interested. I'm, I'm just going to give up here. No, we, we keep inviting. Over the last few weeks, man, I, I can't tell you, I have been rejected at least a dozen times, right? Inviting somebody, hey, will you, you want to come hang out with me? You want to come to my mission community? You want to come check out Sunday morning gathering? Oh, no, I can't, I can't. You know, it's like they have reasons. They're, they're probably valid reasons. But listen, there's, even though I'm being rejected, I am not at all discouraged. I'm thinking the long game here, right? And that's what we have to have when we keep inviting and making those invitations to people come in. We have to have the long game in view because maybe the next time they will say yes. 
And listen, maybe the next time they say yes, they cross the threshold of the church doors and God shows up and boom, changes their life forever. See, that's the power of what's going on here. As we, as the church gathers, as we come together as brothers and sisters, God wants the world to overhear us worshiping him so that they can know that they can get in on this too. See, that, that's the good news. That's the inclusive nature of Christianity. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done in life, no matter how good you are or how bad you are, God has an invitation for you to come. Now, for us as Christians to foster this sort of culture where we're inviting, where people feel like they're welcomed, it's inclusive, we need to take on some sort of intentionality, both on Sunday mornings, which is mostly on my end. This doesn't really apply to you uh, as much, but specifically in missional communities, where we're all contributing to our culture together. And I think the, the intentionality comes with how we talk to one another. I don't know if you realize this, but Christians tend to talk in their own little dialect, right? It, it seems like Christians have their own language. Some people have called it Christianese. Do you know what I'm talking about? We use these big words. We say confusing stuff, right? It, so people step in there. They have no sort of context. They have no background or experience with any of this stuff. And they step in. It's like, you guys sound like crazy people. And so we need to be sensitive to the realization that, that some people aren't necessarily, they don't know what we're talking about. We, we have to have like a, a zero depth entry with our Christian language. Now, I think that this specifically intensifies when we use dated uh, translations of the Bible. King, King James Version is one example. Uh, I'm not knocking King James, but you, you open King James Bible and nobody's gonna be able to follow you because it's so confusing. Thou and those and thou and, I mean, it's like, it's like all this confusing language. And that's one of the reasons at Sacred City why we use the English Standard Version Bible. Right? It's plain language. Like it's something that anybody can pick up and start to understand. But that does not mean uh, that it's... You open up the English Standard, Standard Version Bible, and there are going to be some big words in there. Right? There's, there's some $5 words spread throughout. Now, the key is not we don't just throw away those words. We don't use those words anymore. If we're going to use those words, the key is to explain what they mean in a way that is palatable in a way that people can understand what we're talking about. See, all these Christian words, the Christian dialect, the language has a place, but if these words are putting up barriers, if it's preventing people from understanding what's going on, they're ineffective for us. So in our missional communities, this means that we explain things. Right? We talk as if there are unbelievers in the room. This means on Sunday morning, we, we, we unpack what we're doing. We, we've got these slides. If you're here early, usually visitors are here early, which I don't know where you guys are. You missed like the first this is the call to worship, all the good stuff. But, but we got these slides that say, hey, why do we do this? Why do we, why do we confess our sins? Well, we, we confess our sins every week together as a church because even though we believe the gospel, even though Jesus has saved us, we still stray away from God each and every day. Why do we profess our faith? Well, it helps us, it catechizes us, it, it trains us, not only intellectually, but shapes our hearts. Sound doctrine forms us and, and leads way into practical theology. Why do we come to the Lord's table each week? 
Well, it's a meal that points us to Jesus and offers Christians a supernatural strength to live as missionaries in the world. And, and, and if you are a missionary, you're inviting people, it, it's it's kind of on you to help explain what's going on, right? To, to sort of prime the pup. Hey, here's what we're, you're going to experience. You come in church, there's probably going to be some people lifting up their hands in, in worship. This is what's going on, right? It's a sign of surrender and devotion. There's going to be people kind of hooping and hollering. You guys are kind of quiet. But there, sometimes I'm hooping and hollering. Uh, people are going to say stuff. Well, why do they do it? They're, they're, they're giving their stamp of approval. They're, they're testifying to the truthfulness. Right? And if you don't know what's going on, every month we, we provide a visitor form that helps answer some of these questions. Like, what's going on? We want people to be in the know about what's going on and not just do goofy stuff that nobody has any idea about what we're doing. Right? That's when people start to think that, that this is sort of a dead religion. Right? We're just reading words up on the screen. Why, why are there words up on the screen? Well, we, want, we want to tell people. We want to let them know what's going on. And so missional worship is exclusive and it's focused and speaking loudly about what God has done, but it's inclusive that we do it in a way where other people can understand what's going on. So that's the first paradoxical trait. The second paradoxical trait of missional worship is that missional worship is both corporate and profoundly personal. If you step foot into many contemporary evangelical churches, you'll notice that their Sunday mornings are, are designed in a way that cultivates an atmosphere that's meant to set up this sort of me and God experience. That's just me and God, right? So they'll dim the lights down low. You can't see other people. You, you just see the words on the screen, maybe a worship leader. They, they blast the music, so you, you, you can't hear the other voices around you. So it's just, it's, it's a me and God sort of world. Now, if you read the Old Testament, if you read the New Testament, this me and God isolation is ludicrous. Because almost every time the Bible uses the word you, now as Westerners in our individual, individualistic society, we see the word you and we think individually. Like it's a singular pronoun. Is that right? A pronoun? Is you a pronoun? I don't know. But you, it's a singular thing. But almost Every place in scripture, when you see the word you, it's not talking about individuals. It's talking about the corporate gathering of God's people. It's talking about God's people at large. And so when we profess our faith this morning, we, we profess our faith straight from scripture, from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. When we say, when it says, you are a royal priesthood, right? That's plural language. That you, church, are a royal priesthood. Now, we talked about the missionary language, right? As missionaries, we're trying to connect people to God. This priesthood language gets across the same thing. It's, it's more connector language. If you go back and look at the Old Testament, what the role of priests were, you see that they, they exist to help others connect to God, right? Through, through prayer, through proclamation, through offering sacrifices. They're, they're there to help connect people who have strayed away from God, get back in a right relationship with him. And that isn't just true of those individuals like the Levites 
Right? That's true of the whole nation of Israel. It's this corporate sense. And the same is true about the church, that we are a community of priests. It's not just one person who's functioning as the priest on behalf of the people. Right? We, and Christians have only one priest, the great high priest. It's Jesus and because Jesus is our high priest, we all function as, as these mediaries, as ambassadors, as the royal priesthood. It's called the, the priesthood of all believers, that we all share this responsibility. And, and that 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 passage says that, that you are a royal priesthood, and it goes on to tell us your purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This means that if you're a Christian, if you have been saved by Jesus, if your trust is in him, God has appointed you to proclaim his excellencies. God has appointed you to testify, to herald, to broadcast who God is and what he has done. In fact, if you look at the first few verses of Psalm 105, right, that's really what this whole psalm is about. And I realize a lot of people start squirming in their seats, they're getting a little nervous here because you think, well, I'm supposed to proclaim, right? I'm supposed to talk about this, I'm supposed to share this, I'm supposed to vocalize this. I can't do that. I don't have the gift of words. I don't, I don't know what to say. I can't articulate clearly. And we just sort of mount these excuses. Now listen, if you find yourself thinking that or, or saying that, you must realize that this mentality only keeps you from growing as a missionary. Right? You say, oh, I can't do that. Well, and then you don't try. Then you don't grow in it. Now you might doubt your own ability to speak clearly, but don't you dare underestimate the Holy Spirit's power to speak through you. God can use your imperfect ways to glorify him, to point to Jesus. And if you doubt me for a second, you should pull uh, one of our kids who's down in kids' ministry this morning. They're, they're looking at the book, uh, Numbers 22, where God speaks through a donkey. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you. And I'm not saying that, that you're going to get up here and preach, but you need to know you don't need a microphone to testify. You don't need a microphone to give thanks to the Lord, to call upon his name, to make his, known, his deeds known among the people. In fact, on Sunday mornings, you don't even have to come with your own words. We got them for you on the screen, right? We have songs selected to help you sing loudly. We have our liturgy designed in a way that's supposed to lead you to worship. See, all you have to do is, is testify to affirm that these things are true. Right? You're, you're, when we're here on Sundays, we're not just sitting back disengaged, right? We're, we're letting the amen resound. See, this is why worship is deeply personal. 
These words that we sing, what we profess, what we confess, what we affirm, they may not be your words, but if you are a Christian, this is your testimony of how God has saved you, how God has redeemed you, how God is at work in your life, making you a new creation. And so when you're here on Sunday mornings, what you're doing is you're saying, like, I have experienced this personally. Like all, all these words up on the, on the screen, they, they may not be my words, but I can testify that they are true. Now this means that every single person plays an integral part on Sunday mornings. See, the reality is that we need you here. When you're gone, we miss your voice. When, we, when you're gone, we miss your testimony. See, it's not just about the preacher. It's not just the band or the readers that play an integral part of our Sunday mornings. If you are a Christian, you are here to contribute. And simply showing up on Sunday morning doesn't fulfill the prompts of Psalm 105. Right? Psalm 105 is calling us to action. Sing, give thanks, call upon his name, make known his deeds, tell of what he's done, glory in the Lord, remember and recall. You cannot do these things passively. You can't just sit back in your pew and consume like this is some sort of a show that we're putting on for you. See, worship is a place where we are meant to engage from the front pew to the back pew. And if, you, if you're here and you've, you're, you're passively here, it means you don't, either don't understand or you have forgotten what God has done for you. Because there's no way that you can take a look at the gospel. You can be reminded of God and his mighty works and how he has worked in Christ on your behalf and be apathetic. This is why we need Psalms like Psalm 105 that, that tell us to recall, to remember, to think back to what God has done. And when we do that, when we can put our mind on Christ, our worship becomes convincing. Like when, when not yet believers see lackluster worshipers, people who are distracted, who aren't engaging, people with hands in their pocket who are mumbling, looking down, they, they look and, and they're like, does this person even believe what they're singing about? They can sense the, the discontinuity, the phoniness of that. See, so it's in this sense that convincing worship is missional. This means that we're intentional with the way that we worship, that we want to be physically and emotionally engaged with, with what's going on. And if that means coming here early and picking up the, the liturgy so you can flip through it and prepare your heart, if that means listening to the, the Sacred City worship uh, playlist that we got going on Spotify so you, you can know the songs and so you can engage, then, then be, by all means, do that. Because if it doesn't look like we believe what we're singing or what we're saying, then people are going to look at us and dismiss it. See, as we collectively worship from a profound personal experience, it is winsome to not yet believers, because they look at us 
They say, man, it is clear that God has done something in their life. I wonder if I can get in on that too. And the last paradoxical trait, and I'm in my seat, is that missional worship is seeking what's already been found. Verse 4 says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Now listen, these words are directed to people who have already experienced and encountered God. Right? It's the Old Testament, right? There's... So they're not necessarily Christians, but they're, they're believers. They're people who have hope and faith in God. Now, why would they be commanded to say, seek the Lord continually? Is this a game of hide and seek? Right? Why seek God if they've already found him? See, it's because that when we find Jesus, or, or rather to be more theologically accurate, when Jesus finds us, we don't stop Pursuing him. See, it's not like the guy who all his bachelor life keeps himself fit, works on his manners, well groomed, right? He's just he's pursuing that future wife. And then what happens? He gets the lady, and then he just lets himself go. Right? That beer gut sets in, dad bod kicks in, right? He just kind of let himself go. I found what I wanted, now I'll just sit, sit back. See, that's not the way that Christians operate. When we find the one we're looking for, we don't stop pursuing. We keep going deeper and deeper because we want to know Jesus more. We want to love him more because the more we are connected with Jesus, the deeper our relationship is with him, the more joy that we find. And every Sunday morning, making a pattern of that pursuit is showing us that this is a lifelong endeavor for us. That every Sunday morning is a Sabbath that is set apart for the Lord, for worship and for rest. Not because we're looking for something else. Not because Jesus doesn't satisfy, but we want to get deeper in love with Jesus. Now the reality is, is that Christians and not yet believers are both seekers. You realize that? Christians and, Christians and not yet believers are both seekers. The only difference is that Christians know what their hearts are longing for. See, this is what makes worship missional. We come in, I have found, Song of Solomon is talking about, I have found what my heart desires. I have found the life eternal in Jesus. I want you to come check this out. St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. Do you want to be a good missionary? You have to have this reality that everyone in our city is searching for God. They're just looking in the wrong spot. And so we worship missionally when we invite other people in to seek the Lord with us. We say, follow me as I follow Christ. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells us, seek and you will find. See, we're taking Jesus up on his promise. And while we, do, while we seek Jesus, we do so from a place of 
first being sought after. You look at Psalm 105, and it carries on after verse 6 into verse 7 and through the whole rest of the psalm. It is reminding us at length of what God has done to seek the Israelites, to his, his own people, right? And if, if Psalm 105 it, it culminates in this worship because of what God has done through the exodus and choosing a people and keeping his promises, how much more, how much more intense should our worship be when we see the length of what Jesus went to to seek us out? See, the Lord's table every Sunday reminds us of what Jesus did in order to connect us to God. See, on the cross, Jesus was disconnected. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Why have you turned your face from me? His body was broken. His blood was shed. But Jesus endured that so that we could be connected to God. He makes us right with God. He forgives us. He frees us from the power and the penalty of sin. And one day he promises that he will make all things new and the presence of sin will be completely wiped out. See, this is why we worship. what we were incapable of doing on our own. Like nobody's capable of, of approaching God the Father on their own. But because of Jesus, he connects us. Jesus did what we were incapable of doing. And that's why we worship. We say, look at his power. Look at his might. Look at his strength and what he has done for us. Look at his grace and his mercy. That's why we worship. Father, we thank you for your grace that finds us, that seeks us out. We thank you for the way that you have worked to connect us to yourself, that we were once aliens, we were once far off, we were separated from you, but because of the blood of Christ, we are cleansed and we are brought near. As your people, Lord, would you now send us out? Would you help us to live missionally with the focus of connecting others to you? Would you help us set a culture here within this church to worship missionally, to be thinking of the outsider as we are in our own little space. And God, would you help us in a way that leads to more conversions this year, to seeing people baptized, to, to seeing people hear of your good works, to hear what you've done for us in the gospel and put their trust in Christ. We ask this, God. For our good, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.